We are continuing through our sermon series, The Gospel, where uh, we've been looking through the book of John and asking the question, what is the gospel? Uh, what does it do? How does it change us? And what does it look like? And as we've walked through uh, the life of Jesus and his interactions with just different groups of people and crowds, uh, we, we've seen how he is the presence of God in the world since the creation of the world. And how he's revealed to us God's kingdom through his interactions and as he relates to people, like at the wedding of Cana or, or in his conversation with Nicodemus or the woman at the well. All of these interactions have revealed to us who Jesus is and, and why he is such good news. Uh, so this morning, uh, we are going to be looking at how Jesus related to the crowd of the 5,000 people that he fed. Um, and we can see the heart of the gospel in how Jesus interacts with this crowd. So uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to John chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be reading a few verses here, verse 25 to 59. So John chapter 6, starting at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And just for context, Jesus had already fed the 5,000 uh, he'd gone away to Capernaum at this point, and the crowd was following him here. So uh, this is where the story picks up. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You were looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign will you then give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, now give us this bread always. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But as I told you, you've seen me, and still you don't believe me. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And at this the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know, how can he say, I've come down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father himself draws him, uh, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one who has seen the Father except no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. 
Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue among themselves sharply, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. Jesus is the bread of life. Uh, this morning, as, as we look at the question, what is the gospel? What does it do? How does it change us? Uh, I also want to ask you guys the question, who is Jesus to you? He's the sustainer of everything we need. He is, he is loving and merciful and cares for us beyond our understanding, but who do you know him to be? So the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four books of the Bible that describe the life and, and ministry of Jesus, um, are, are written and arranged differently, and they all point to something differently. So each of the Gospels have uh, a different emphasis on, on Jesus about something. And so the book of John was written to show how Jesus is Yahweh. He is the anointed one that God has sent to this world to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. That's why John wrote this book, to try and communicate that Jesus is Yahweh. So as we come to the story of the 5,000, John purposefully lays this story out in such a way for us to see that Jesus is the Messiah and, and the God of Israel become human for us. And he also tries to help us understand that Jesus isn't just some nice vending machine that gives us what we want in life, that he is the bread of life that leads to everlasting life. Now, leading up to the, the 5,000, the feeding, uh, Jesus was actually trying to get away from this crowd of people. Uh, he, he had just sent his apostles out to preach, and he had given them authority to uh, perform miracles and speak truth to all those who listened. And as they came back to Jesus, they were celebrating all these different stories, but there were a crowd also following the disciples, and, and they all came back with incredible stories. And it says that in the book of Mark that they didn't even have a chance to eat, the disciples, because there were so many people coming and going, trying to meet Jesus, uh, and, and being incredibly amazed by the miracles that they just performed. So Jesus and his disciples, they try to get away to a solitary place. And as they go... Uh, to try and rest and recuperate, this, this crowd of 5,000 just comes rushing towards them. Now, uh, the, the 5,000 is really a misnomer. Uh, the Bible tells us that there were 5,000 men. Uh, in reality, there were probably about 12 to 15,000, including women and children in that group there. So uh, l- let me just repaint this picture. You have Jesus and his disciples, tired and weary from the ministry they'd just been doing, working miracles, preaching to the people, and... They come away to try and find some rest, to try and find even time to eat, it says. 
And so as they do this, this crowd of thousands comes rushing towards them. So they try and find another spot to try and rest. And the crowd again finds them. And so as they see these thousands of people rushing towards them, here's how Jesus responded. Probably a little different than us. But in Mark 6, it says, when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them. Who is Jesus to you? Often a simple thing like hunger can cause us to become agitated or frustrated with those around us. Or, or when we're trying to rest and something disturbs us, we're not usually pleasant people. Uh, but Jesus, in his tiredness and in his hunger, he had compassion. He went hungry so that the crowd could be fed. And more than that, he suffered on our behalf. He not because of our worth to earn it, but simply because he has compassion on us. Because at the heart of who Jesus is, he is love. And he loves us. Do you know Jesus to be loving? Because the small sacrifice he made to have compassion on the crowd is only a small glimpse of the mercy and love that he has for us shown on the cross. But the people in the crowd that day they didn't quite understand his purpose. They didn't quite understand who Jesus was. You see, in, in verse 2 of John chapter 6, uh, it says that at first this great crowd was following Jesus because of the miracles they'd saw him perform and the incredible things they'd seen him do. But later, when, when the crowd again comes to Jesus to find him after they'd been fed, Jesus says to them, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I had performed, but because you had the loaves and you had your fill. They weren't trying to find Jesus because they knew he loved them and could fill the emptiness of their souls, but because he knew that they could fill their stomachs. The crowd saw Jesus in the way that they wanted to see him, not for who he was. He was just an inexhaustible food source to them at that point not as the source of all life. But they had other misconceptions of Jesus that, that blinded them to this reality. Um, the, the nation of Israel during the days of Jesus was under the rule of the Romans, and they'd been conquered by this nation. Uh, most of the known world was conquered by the Romans at that time. And, and so the Israelites expected the Messiah, when he was to come, they expected him to rule with power, to rule with force, to uh, to raise up the nation of Israel, to conquer the Romans, to fight them in battle and to destroy them. And so when, when Jesus came and he healed their sicknesses and when he came and provided for them food, the crowd, they were thinking, man, this is it. This is the guy. He is the prophet who is going to redeem us. We can go to battle now because if we get hurt, he can heal us. If, if we starve. He can feed us, right? We don't have to care about provisions or even if we get hurt because he is one who is greater than us. And, and really, the crowd was kind of a small army. There was 5,000 men, 10 to 12,000 people in total. They could go into battle with these kind of numbers. And because of their expectations, because of what they thought Jesus would do instead of understanding who he truly was, they, they just saw him as a miracle-working tyrant who would lead them into battle and over victory over their enemies. And the problem was that they saw Jesus as one who could only fix their physical problems, not their spiritual problems. They saw Jesus as one who would provide all their physical needs, yes, and he does do that. 
that he could create food and gather a big enough crowd to overthrow the government, but they didn't see their spiritual need for Jesus, their need to be saved. As one commentator puts it at this point, he who is already king has come to open his kingdom to men, but in their blindness, men try to force him to be the kind of king they want. Thus they fail to get the king they want and lose the kingdom he offers. We, we don't need a savior who can fill our stomachs. The government can do that. We don't need help overcoming our enemies from him all the time, though he does these things as well. We, more importantly, need a savior who can do something about the brokenness of our souls, who can give us life, who can transform us. So when the crowd comes to Jesus asking him for more bread, he just responds by saying, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Now there's a lot of, there's a lot of meaning unpacked in that statement that he just said. So um, he, he starts by saying, I am the bread of life. I am. And, and in the Gospel of John, there's seven times that he uses this I am statement in order to help the readers understand that Jesus is God. Uh, and, and the use of this, he, he brings out in different ways. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the vine. You are the branches. I am the shepherd. It's a phrase that draws us back to Exodus chapter 3, where, where Moses, he was speaking to God through the burning bush. And when Moses asks God what his name is, God says, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Each time Jesus uses the phrase, I am, it's, it's evoking this understanding of who he is, that he is God. He is claiming to be God himself in each of these cases. But more than just communicating his, his worthiness to be praised by everyone, that he is himself Yahweh, he says that he's the bread of life. Bread was the staple food for the people of Jesus' day. It was what they survived on. It's what they needed to live on. It was the main food source for most people. Um, it, was, it was hard to imagine life without bread or even to be able to survive without bread at that point. Do we see Jesus in the same way that we need bread? Do we see our need for Jesus in the same way that we need food? Because he was trying to communicate to them how much we absolutely need him that we can't just have a bite of bread and we're good for the rest of our lives, that we can't just have one loaf a week and we're satisfied enough to continue on, right? But that we need to come to him, that we need to seek him daily as our sustenance for life. In order to have all that we need, we need to find that in him. He is to be our daily bread. He is to be the source of life that sustains us. Do we rely on him that way? Do you rely on him that way? Or are you fed by something else? The, the people in the crowd that day didn't want Jesus. They, they wanted the food that he gave them. And, and so Jesus addressed this problem. He said, you want me because I gave you your fill, and that's it. But I want so much more for you. I want to give you life. I want to be the sustenance of your soul. I want to, you to come to me for all that you need. How amazing is God's grace for us? Jesus knew their hearts. He knew they were, they were selfish, they were needy, they were blind people. They couldn't see who he truly was, and yet he didn't abandon them because of this. It was rather this that qualified them for him to seek them, 
Do you see who Jesus is here? In, in, in the brokenness, he only sees an ability to redeem. He sees our, our selfish and, and needy estate, and he longs all the more to redeem us. But he also just doesn't give us what we want. Jesus had compassion on the crowd, and so he fed them when they came to him. But when the crowd came again to Jesus asking for the same bread, he knew that if he continued just providing for their physical needs, that they wouldn't see their spiritual need for him. Now, he could have continued making bread for them all. He could have just miraculously pulled it out of baskets and continued giving all the poor and needy bread. But again, giving them this food would only allow them to be reliant on him for their physical needs. And I think we fall into the same trap at times. It's, it's like Jesus holds two signs in his hand. One says, free food and free money. And the other sign he holds says, fulfillment and everlasting life. Which one would you choose? It depends on who Jesus is to you. You see, Jesus doesn't want to just transform us. He wants, he wants to make us new. He wants to have relationship with us. He wants to be so near to us that we, we take him into ourselves, that we become so a part of who he is that we can't live without him. He provides our physical needs at times, and this is good, but he also provides our greatest need. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of this world. The greatest need that we have in this world isn't for, for food or more peace or security. It isn't for more, more entertainment or belonging. It's for a savior. It's for someone who can step into our brokenness and offer a hand of life. And how did he do that? This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of this world. Jesus was broken so that we could be made whole. Jesus gave up his life for us so that we could have life. Jesus was rejected by God so that we could be accepted by him. And there's no greater love than for someone to lay down his life for another. That is the gospel. That Jesus gave himself up for us in every way so that we could have life. The gospel looks like Jesus laying down every part of his life for the broken people like us. His love for us is so great that he went through everything he did so that we could have life in him. But most people in the crowd that day were still hoping Jesus would hold up the sign free food and free money. They didn't understand him. And it was a lot like the conversation Jesus had in, in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. Jesus said you needed to be born again and, and Nicodemus understood it in these worldly terms. How on earth can you be born again? And so the crowd asked how on earth is this man going to give us his flesh to eat? Jesus was telling them the, the beautiful reality of life that could be theirs if they were willing to understand. But because they only wanted Jesus as the, the bread maker, they only wanted Jesus as the one who would rule over them and lead them to conquer the, the surrounding nation, they missed out on the kingdom. They missed out on life. And so in verse 66, it says, from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It was a hard teaching. 
in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives us this very candid reality of the, the four different types of reactions that people have to the gospel, to the good news. Uh, it's, it's the parable of the sower, uh, and, and he divides people into these, these four different categories. There is uh, the first, the people who don't understand the message, who aren't willing to understand it, and so the word is taken away from them. Uh, the, the second are those who receive the gospel with joy, but they walk away from it because trouble or persecution happens because of the good news. Uh, the third are those who walk away from Jesus because of the worries and their desires to build wealth and a kingdom for themselves. And the fourth are those who hear Jesus' message and, and, and believe it and understand it and put it to practice. Many in the crowd that day were in the first category. They, they didn't understand and they weren't willing to understand because they wanted Jesus to be a certain thing. So they chose not to understand who he truly was. There were others in the crowd who simply wanted his material possessions. They wanted bread. And so if he didn't give them bread, then I'm, screw it. What's the point of this? I'm not going to follow you anymore. Others were desiring him for who he truly was. And the apostles stayed with him even when they didn't understand. Who is Jesus to you? Is he more necessary than your own possessions? Is he more worth seeking than maybe some of the misunderstandings you have in life? Or do we turn away because he doesn't give us what we think we need? It's a good thing he loves us because what kind of God would he be if he just bent to our every desire and whim? That wouldn't be just, that wouldn't be love. He has to do something about our broken estate. And Jesus loves us so much more than our earthly desires, and he did just that. He saved us. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus knows what we need. I'm not saying Jesus can't provide for us. Jesus knew that those listening to him in that day had needs. They physically needed food. He, he knew that their physical need, though, was, was completely secondary to their need for a savior, for life. And the reality that they missed out on was that if they only believed in him, if they only chose to seek him instead of seeking their earthly desires, then they would have all the things that they needed. They would have all the materials that they needed in life. Jesus is merciful. He is loving. And, and like Pastor Dustin said a while back, he often feels like sandpaper to us. He chafes away the things in our lives that ought not to be there. And as the author of Hebrews puts it, God disciplines us for our own good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Who is Jesus to you? He's the merciful Savior who gave up his life so that we could have life. He's the disciplining father who helps us to become holy. He's the sustainer of all that we need if we are willing to seek him instead of our earthly needs. So if you don't understand what Jesus is doing in your life, continue to seek him. The story of Job is, is a, an encouraging one, who, a man who continued to seek God when literally everything was taken from him. Jesus didn't, didn't suffer on this earth and give up his life so that we could continue striving to find life and meaning in this world. It's freely available for those who seek him. 
Don't let the difficulties you face this week take you from him. Let them drive you closer to him. Just in, in closing, I want to share with you um, the story of a, a man named William Mogum. Uh, for those of you who might know, he was an author in the 1930s. He was quite famous and wrote a lot of uh, books and plays. And nearing the end of his life, he was quite wealthy. Um, he didn't need to write any words for the last 30 years of his life because royalties were still coming in from books. And uh, he, was, he was an incredibly wealthy man. And he had everything he could possibly want. He had every physical thing he could possibly need. And yet at the end of his life, he realized that it was all worthless. And so I just want to I just want to read for you an excerpt from um, from written by his, his nephew Robin, uh, Robin Mogum, who visited his uncle before his death. And so here's what he writes. I looked around the drawing room at the immensely valuable furniture and pictures and objects that Willie's success had enabled him to acquire. I remembered the villa itself and the wonderful garden I could see through the window, and a fabulous setting on the edge of the Mediterranean was worth 600,000 pounds alone. That was back in the 1960s, so a little bit more expensive now. Willie had 11 servants, including his cook, Annette, who was the envy of all the other millionaires in the Riviera. He dined on silver plates, waited on by Marius, his butler, and Henry, his footman, but it no longer meant anything to him. The following afternoon, I found Willie reclining on a sofa, peering through his spectacles at a Bible which had very large print. He looked horribly wizened, and his face was grim. I've been reading the Bible you gave me, and I've come across the quotation, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? I must tell you, my dear Robin, that that text used to hang opposite my bed when I was a child. Of course, it's all a lot of bunk. But the thought is quite interesting all the same. That evening in the, in the drawing room after dinner, Willie flung himself down onto the sofa. Oh, Robin, I'm so tired. He gave a gulp and buried his head in his hands. I've been a failure whole, the whole way through my life. He said, I, I tried to comfort him. You're the most famous writer alive. Surely that must mean something. I wish I'd never written a single word, he answered. It's brought me nothing but misery. Everyone who's gotten to know me well has ended up by hating me. My whole life has been a failure, and now it's too late to change. It's too late. It's a very, very grim, perhaps, story, but a truthful reality of what life is apart from Jesus. We, we, the pursuit of life apart from Jesus can be fun. It can bring a bit of satisfaction at points, too. It can make us happy. It can make us even joyful at points, but it doesn't last. And in the end, it doesn't lead to life. It only leaves you empty. It can't save you. You can't even save you. Only Jesus can. He loves us enough to discipline us, to provide for us, to save us from the sting of death. Do you know this, Jesus? Because he knows you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son to save us. We thank you that we can look to you and have life and life everlasting. Father, you are good to us. You are good to us enough to not let us just suffer under the weight of our own selfish desires, that you long to transform us, to change us. And so, God, I ask that you would continue to do that work in us. Continue to transform us. Continue to make us more like you. And, Father, when we're tempted to walk away because we don't understand, we pray that you would continue to be faithful to us, uh, that you would help us to know you more. God, as we, as we wrestle with 
uh, pursuing earthly desires, these things help us to understand that you are worth more than anything else we could pursue in life. Father, you are good to us. You are loving. We thank you that you care for us enough to discipline us and transform us and change us. Thank you for your love for us, Father. 